On the evening of January 31st, 2019, 29-year-old Camila Diaz went out to work in the streets of her hometown, San Salvador. She exchanged gossipy, run-of-the-mill work-related texts with her friends, had minor turf conflicts with some of the other women on the stroll, fussed over her hair and makeup. It was just another night. When her friends didn't hear back from her the next day, they weren't worried, but as time wore on, they began to think something may be amiss. Their instincts were on. Camila had been picked up by the police late that same evening. According to PRI's reporting on the case, quote, a surveillance camera from a bank recorded police officers assaulting her, cuffing her, and placing her face down in the back of a pickup truck. Hours later, emergency workers discovered Diaz on the side of a road about five miles west. Three days later, Diaz died in the hospital. Violence against trans women in El Salvador runs rampant. According to Human Rights Watch, between October 2019 and April 2020 alone, at least seven trans women and two gay men were murdered in El Salvador, with details in the cases suggesting that the killers were motivated by hatred based on the victim's gender identity or sexual orientation. In neighboring Honduras, 97 trans women have been killed since 2009, and 303 people murdered for their sexual orientation since 2009. Those statistics, right workers and researchers say, likely undercount the number who are murdered or injured as targets of hate crimes in Central America. And those statistics are even bleaker for trans sex workers, who are highly visible targets for police in addition to being exposed to potentially violent clients. Sadly, if it were just that Camila was a murdered trans sex worker of color in El Salvador or any country for that matter, the case may not have gotten much media attention. What made her case stand out was that Camila was a recent deportee. Camila had been victimized by police and clients and civilians for her line of work and her gender identity. She'd been targeted for extortion by one of the major violent gangs in the country. The harassment got so bad that in 2017, she fled the country and applied for asylum in the United States. She was denied almost certainly due to the tightening of immigration laws and the cracking down on asylum claims imposed by the Trump administration. Over the course of the entire Trump presidency, only 18% of asylum seekers from El Salvador have had their claims granted. This is a particularly infuriating topic to me. I've brought supplies to the squalid camps in Tijuana that popped up after the implementation of Trump's Remain in Mexico policy and have had friends and loved ones directly affected by the inhumane and openly racist immigration reforms put in place since 2016. I think it would behoove us to take a moment and go over a little rundown of the timeline on our dumpster fire, financially and morally bankrupt loser one-term ex-president's reign of terror against vulnerable populations in Central and South American countries. This from ImmigrantJustice.org. January 2017. Trump issues Executive Order 13767, Border Security and Immigration Enforcement Improvements. The executive order, which was issued along with a parallel executive order focusing on immigration policies in the interior of the United States, put forth a blueprint for many of the anti-asylum and anti-immigrant policies the administration has implemented since, including the construction of a border wall, the increased and prolonged jailing of asylum seekers, and the increased use of expedited deportation procedures. 
Implementation is ongoing. Many of these policies, including expanded expedited case processing and the prolonged detention of asylum seekers, have already been actualized. February 2017. U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services raises the threshold for demonstrating credible fear in asylum interviews. This new guideline ordered asylum officers to be stricter in assessing claims of fear made during credible fear interviews, the threshold interview that is required before an asylum seeker is allowed to present their case to an immigration judge. Immigration law experts warned that the heightened standards would result in erroneous deportations of asylum seekers back to harm or death. The implementation of this policy quickly resulted in a high rate of denials, causing a significant rise in deportations of those with meritorious asylum claims that they were never permitted to fully present. July 2017, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement ends the Family Case Management Program, signaling a concerted policy of prolonged and indefinite detention of asylum seekers. The Family Case Management Program allowed some asylum seekers to remain in the community during their asylum proceedings while receiving case management services, including referrals to legal and social services. The Trump administration terminated the policy for blatantly political reasons in April 2017 and subsequently unrolled a de facto policy of the prolonged and indefinite detention of asylum seekers in violation of ICE's own policy directive requiring that the agency release asylum seekers on humanitarian parole if they have a sponsor and pose no community safety risk. By the summer of 2019, ICE's own data revealed it to be jailing approximately 9,000 immigrants who had already been found to have a credible or reasonable fear of persecution or torture. ICE is facing federal litigation for its systemic violation of its own parole guidance. In August 2018, a federal court ordered ICE to resume individualized release considerations in five field offices, an order plaintiffs have had to go back to court to enforce. In another case, plaintiffs have produced evidence that only two of 130 cases out of the New Orleans ICE field office were granted in 2018. Both cases are ongoing. March 2018. Attorney General Jeff Sessions vacates decision in matter EFHL, eviscerating asylum seekers' due process rights in immigration court. In the matter, Sessions utilized a provision of law that was only used sparingly under previous administrations to certify to himself and then overturn a decision of the administrative appellate body known as the Board of Immigration Appeals eviscerating the rights of asylum seekers to testify on their own behalf before they can be denied asylum and or deported. This policy is in full force. Individual applicants may challenge the application of the case in the circuit courts of appeal, but for the vast majority of immigrants who are unrepresented, this option is far out of reach. April 2018, the Department of Justice requires immigration court judges to comply with case quotas. Despite opposition from the National Association of Immigration Judges, this policy requires immigration judges to make final rulings on 700 cases per year, about three per day, with repercussions, either being sent to a different immigration court or a termination if they do not comply. With judges under pressure to rush through court proceedings, the policy threatens the ability of asylum seekers to properly prepare and present their case. This policy went into effect in the fall of 2018. The combination of this and several other unprecedented policies have resulted in chaos in the immigration court system, including the increasing backlog crisis by 25 percent 
rather than cutting down the number of pending cases that continues to creep closer to one million. Also in April of 2018, Attorney General Sessions introduces the zero tolerance policy, triggering widespread family separations. The zero-tolerance policy, announced by Sessions via memo, required that all arriving migrants, including asylum seekers, be referred to the DOJ for criminal prosecution for illegal entry or re-entry. What resulted was the mass systemic separation of families as parents were prosecuted and children were taken into custody, causing irreversible, lifelong trauma to over 2,600 children. Subsequently revealed internal government memos show that this policy was explicitly intended to serve as a deterrence mechanism for asylum seekers. Family separation is still happening on a mass scale despite executive orders issued in July of 2018 that allegedly ended the zero tolerance policy and despite a court order. Separations sometimes involve prosecutions, but not always. In other cases, the Department of Homeland Security cites vague and often unsubstantiated reasons such as the parent's criminal history, gang affiliation, or even medical issues such as HIV status as justification for separation. ICE, Customs and Border Protection, and the Office of Refugee and Resettlement enter into an agreement to share information obtained from unaccompanied children amongst the three agencies, and inserting ICE into the approval process for reunification of unaccompanied children with sponsors. The administration intended the information sharing agreement to provide ICE with the information it needed to target, arrest, and deport family members attempting to reunite with children entering the United States unaccompanied. ICE arrested more than 300 potential sponsors from the date of the agreement until an appropriations bill prohibiting most arrests of sponsors was signed into law. The agreement is still in place, as is the provision in appropriations law prohibiting enforcement against most sponsors. Although ORR has made some modifications in the implementation of this agreement, the fear it instilled in immigrant communities remains. Many families are now too afraid to come forward as sponsors. Children remain in ORR custody for prolonged periods. September 2018, DHS and the Department of Health and Human Services attempt to dismantle the Flores Settlement Agreement and the Trafficking Victims Protection Reauthorization Act of 2008. DHS and HHS both issued notices in the Federal Register of a proposed rule that would, among other things, allow for the indefinite detention of families, enable DHS to self-license family detention facilities, and undermine unaccompanied children's right to a bond hearing. Despite receipt of more than 100,000 comments on the proposed rule, DHS and HHS proceeded to publish the rule in final form in August of 2019, with few meaningful changes from the proposed rule. The publication marks the latest step in the administration's ongoing efforts to irreparably alter the Flores settlement, a binding court settlement providing protections and guidelines related to the timing and conditions of detention for migrant children. November 2018, Asylum Ban 1.0, barring migrants who cross between ports from asylum eligibility. In response to groups of asylum seekers from Central America arriving in the fall of 2018, known colloquially as the caravans, the administration via executive order banned individuals who do not present themselves at a point of entry from applying for asylum. The executive order was implemented through an interim final rule allowing for immediate implementation without the ordinary notice and comment period usually required for significant regulatory changes. January 2019, Migrant Protection Persecution Protocols, aka Remain in Mexico, 
the MPP program constituted a dramatic undermining of the foundation of the U.S. asylum system by systemically returning asylum seekers who have been inspected at a port of entry and put into removal proceedings to Mexico to await their proceedings. Since its inception, the program has been implemented at ports of entry all across the southern border, placing asylum seekers at risk for violence, exploitation at the hands of cartels, and death. Approximately 1% of people returned to Mexico under the program are able to find representation in their court cases. And the program regularly results in family separations. This policy has caused wait times on the international bridges to increase and asylum seekers to become so desperate that they cross between ports of entry and suffer injuries or death. A lawsuit challenging the policy is ongoing. April 2019, the White House releases a memo calling for regulations that would include adding fees to the asylum application and work permit application, precluding asylum seekers from working lawfully during their asylum proceedings and placing a 180-day limit for cases to be completely adjudicated with an immigration court. May 2019, USCIS issues a memo attempting to undercut protections provided to unaccompanied children during the asylum process. The memo undermines the few but essential protections provided to unaccompanied children in their asylum proceedings, including exemption from the one-year filing deadline and non-adversarial asylum interviews with an asylum officer by requiring immigration adjudicators to continually re-adjudicate a child's designation as unaccompanied. These new procedures undoubtedly impact children's ability to effectively access their right to asylum by stripping away protections specifically designed to reflect the vulnerability of children who arrive at the border alone. Stephen Miller has been promoting the implementation and expansion of a pilot program that would allow CBP officers rather than trained asylum officers working under USCIS supervision to conduct credible fear interviews, requiring asylum seekers recently arrived and fleeing fresh trauma to articulate their fear of return to uniformed CBP officers. This will certainly mean that many asylum seekers will be forcibly returned to harm and death. I know it feels like I just spent a lot of time in that policy breakdown, but let me tell you, that is the boiled down version. Camila Diaz's blood, shed by the officers who abducted, beat, and threw her out of a moving vehicle that night in 2019, is on the hands of every person in and adjacent to the Trump administration. It stains the souls of every person who cast a vote for him. This woman, who went through unfathomable difficulty to survive in her home country, who made the emotional, rackingly difficult decision to leave and make a treacherous journey north, this funny, sweet, beloved person who yearned to be safe and free, who believed in the promise of America that we have propagated across the world for centuries, came here and threw herself on the mercy of a highly politicized immigration court. And still, when she was turned away and sent back to the home where she felt sure she would be killed just for living the way she was born, she put on a brave face to try and cobble together a life. That life was stolen from her by thugs, and bigots on the ground and in the Oval Office. She deserved better. Her life mattered. Today, we remember Camila Diaz. <laughs>